I'm Michael Isikoff, Chief Investigative Correspondent for Yahoo News. And I'm Dan Clydman, Editor-in-Chief of Yahoo News. And a quick reminder that you can follow us at Pod. And by the way, if you've got any questions, thoughts, ideas you want to share, tweet right at us. Now let's get on with the show. If we find that the President of the United States abused his power and invited foreign interference in our elections, or if he sought to condition, coerce, extort, or bribe an ally into conducting investigations to aid his reelection campaign and did so by withholding official acts, a White House meeting, or hundreds of millions of dollars of needed military aid, must we simply get over it? Is this what Americans should now expect from their president? If this is not impeachable conduct, what is? That was House Intelligence Committee Chairman Adam Schiff laying out the case in Wednesday's public hearing for why President Trump should be impeached and removed from office. It's a moment we've been waiting for for weeks now, and it began with two key and very powerful witnesses, George Kent, the Deputy Assistant Secretary of State who oversaw Ukrainian matters, and William Taylor, the U.S. Charged Affairs in Kiev. Because people have got to know whether or not their president's a crook. Well, I'm not a crook. I told the American people I did not trade arms for hostages. My heart and my best intentions still tell me that's true. But the facts and the evidence tell me it is not. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. There will be no lies. We will honor the American people with the truth and nothing else. I'm Michael Isikoff, Chief Investigative Correspondent for Yahoo News. And I'm Dan Clydman, Editor-in-Chief of Yahoo News. We've got a panel of two key witnesses of our own here, our own Alex Nazarian, who is covering the hearing for Yahoo News, and Kim Whaley, a uh, former federal prosecutor herself, now a law professor and legal analyst. Alex and Kim, welcome to Skullduggery. Thank you. Thank you. All right, Alex, let's start with you, your takeaways from today's public hearing. My takeaway was that other than the revelation about Gordon Sondland having a conversation with President Trump about, quote, the investigations the day after Trump talked to Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky, I don't know that we learned all that much new. Now, there were a lot of riveting moments. There were a lot of heated exchanges. I'm just not sure that either side did anything to persuade the unpersuaded, if there are any such people left. So to put it put another way, whether this first hearing, as dramatic as it was when it first started, whether it moved the needle. Yeah, and I should say that Gordon Sondland phone conversation with Trump was potentially quite significant, and we'll get to that in a moment. Kim, your um, takeaway? It did a number of important things for the broader American populace, the people watching. We're all deeply enmeshed in these details and these witnesses, and it can be quite complicated. But I think the witnesses did two things. Number one, they explained why Ukraine 
is important to our American interest in foreign policy, how it sits between Western democracies in Europe and Russia, how Russia is trying through annexing Crimea, has been trying to gobble it up, and how for multiple administrations since 1991 and its independence, it's been trying to hang on to a democracy, and that this money that was withheld from the Senate was frustrated that purpose, frustrated the interests of America. Why? Certainly not for American interests, for some other interests, that is Mr. Trump's personal interests. So uh, I thought that was an extremely important thing. The other thing is it, Mr. Taylor in particular, explained what he called the regular and irregular channels of foreign policy and how rare this was, how unusual it was to basically have a private citizen who operates outside of the Constitution, Rudy Giuliani, is not subject to the transparency, ethics, conflict of interest, rules that apply to other federal employees, doesn't take an oath of office, doesn't have to show up before Congress in investigations, oversight hearings. And that uh, Rudy Giuliani, with it sounded like from Mr. Kent's testimony with those Ukrainians that are now subject to uh, indictment, Mitlev Parnas and Igor Fruman, sort of orchestrated a separate foreign policy that was shocking, really, and at odds with career diplomats in the State Department. And I think those two uh, foundational stories have not been told to date when we focus so much on whether there's a quo to the quid. Yeah. And I should point out that the witnesses were extremely credible and serious and sober. Taylor made it clear from the get-go that he was there as a fact witness. He was not going to offer opinions. He was only going to offer what he knew to be true, what he personally witnessed, conversations he had. And uh, Kent, with his bow tie, was sort of, you know, straight out of central casting for a senior veteran State Department official. Yeah, they were really impressive witnesses and I think unimpeachable in yeah. a lot of ways. I want to pick up on um, something that Kim said, which I think was a, a, you know, a big win for the Democrats today, but also raises another question about whether they can kind of sustain this going forward. So before these hearings, there was a lot of debate about the Democratic strategy and whether the Democrats should essentially go kind of narrow and deep, which is to say to really just focus on Ukraine, or the kind of kitchen sink approach, to bring in Russia, to bring in obstruction, to bring in emoluments. They clearly have decided to do the former rather than the latter. And I think there's an elegance to it. It's simple. It's easy to understand. These witnesses were very good, as you said, Kim, at explaining what was wrong with what Donald Trump did. The question I have is, you know, these hearings are now going to go on for many days, and how many more facts are going to come out? Can they kind of sustain it in terms of the drama, in terms of new information? And, you know, look, I, I, I will admit that maybe shouldn't be the most important thing. I mean, there are serious issues here of policy and law and conduct by a president, but in this kind of modern social media age, the ability to kind of clip new, th- you know, new video and new sound bites and new revelations in air quotes is sometimes what it takes to kind of sustain interest. Right. I mean, I think that's an excellent point. You know, we're dealing, we're really talking about 
sort of a two-month period from the summer to the fall that are the crux of the impeachment case against President Trump. The suspension of the aid in, in mid-July, the phone call in July 25th, the, the communications from ambassadors Volker and Sunderland and Sondland to the Ukrainians about what President Zelensky, the new president of Ukraine, has to say to get his White House meeting and then military aid. And I just want, I agree with you. I'm, I'm wondering with this, well, how many, Alex, how many more days of testimony we have this week and next we week, have, you know? We have several, we have Friday yeah, this week right. and several more days this week. And then, you know, about five or six witnesses next week, all right. talking about, you know, essentially the same series of events. And I wonder whether there's enough drama in the hearings to come to sustain the public interest that the Democrats need to build momentum for this. So Democrats had a great week last week. Every day saw the release of one or two witness testimonies. And that testimony, whether it was from Taylor, Fiona Hill, Alex Vindman, was uniformly damaging to Trump. And that was full of new revelations. That was full of details that people were picking out and tweeting and discussing on cable news. And Trump was, you know, and, and, and the Trump administration and the Trump reelection campaign were clearly on the defensive with the rebuttals that were coming in. This week and next, presumably, those same witnesses will regurgitate those same points. Almost by definition, they're just going to make public testimony that had been private. So I'm just not sure how much new there will be. Well, there is Sondland, and he is yes. going to be a crucial witness. Right, because um, one of the big complaints was hearsay, second, third, fourth, fifth-hand information. Of course, as lawyers understand, judges know hearsay is actually admissible to some degree, and there, there's definitions of hearsay. Mm -hmm. um, but a couple things. There's another part of the narrative, which is the cover-up, which is putting the whistleblower complaint on the secret server. That's number one. Number two is Mr. Nunes's opening statement seemed to suggest that this is kind of an add-on to the failure of the Mueller report, the idea that that was a colossal political ploy for the Democrats. And I think that was not a particularly strategically smart maneuver because we have the Roger Stone trial going on right now um, with more information coming out which regarding... Went, which went to the jury today. Um, and right. we and information that was withheld from the public in the Mueller report because right. there was an ongoing criminal investigation, including information about Mr. Trump's knowledge of the Wiki, WikiLeaks upcoming leaks when he had said to Mr. Mueller under oath in writing that he couldn't recall any conversations about that. Number one. Number two, we have a wending through the courts, the question of whether the sixth underlying grand jury information should be released. Right. It was released, as you know, in the Whitewater investigation. Why? Because Ken Starr asked for it. And Mr. Clinton's own testimony, grand jury testimony, was released before there was even a vote on starting an impeachment inquiry, including grand jury material relating to his sexual relationships with Monica Lewinsky. So I think it's going to be very hard to keep a lid on that. The other point with respect to new revelations I want to make is unlike Mueller, unlike Whitewater, where a prosecutor developed basically a big binder of detailed information, press went through it. This is developing to some degree 
in real time. There are new witnesses coming forward. This person that's coming forward now, um, well, I know we'll get into it, that overheard the phone call. Lawyers don't like to ask questions they don't know the answer to. There will be witnesses that lawyers on both sides are going to have to ask questions of that they don't know the answer to. In addition, we don't have all the documents. That There was an issue yeah. made on that, too. If some of these, uh, these documents or there's a court order, I'm not sure where that is legally, and I frankly don't understand why Congress hasn't actually pushed that in the courts, but we will see some of the underlying documentation. Well, there was a, a, a intriguing moment early in the hearings when Bill Taylor was being asked about his notes because he was a, he's apparently a prodigious note taker, as a lot of State Department officials and diplomats are. He said that he had turned over those notes to the State Department. I think maybe the legal advisor's office has it. But he said, Alex, you were there, so correct me if I'm wrong. I said he's, I think he said that he thinks those notes are going to be turned over sooner or later. He seemed to have information suggesting that those notes are going to be turned over, and those will be very interesting right. to see. Uh, quick you know, question. We mentioned uh, a, a couple of times now the new information that Taylor revealed about the president's, what he learned about the president's phone call with Sondland on July 26th, the day after the phone call between President Trump and President Zelensky. Let's play the clip and then talk about why this is potentially so significant. Last Friday, a member of my staff told me of events that occurred on July 26th. While Ambassador Volker and I, Volker and I visited the front, this member of my staff accompanied Ambassador Sondland. Ambassador Sondland met with Mr. Yerbach. Following that meeting, in the presence of my staff at a restaurant, Ambassador Sondland called President Trump and told him of his meetings in Kyiv. The member of my staff could hear President Trump on the phone asking Ambassador Sondland about the investigations. Ambassador Sondland told President Trump the Ukrainians were ready to move forward. Following the call with President Trump, the member of my staff asked Ambassador Sondland what President Trump thought about Ukraine. Ambassador Sondland responded that President Trump cares more about the investigations of Biden which Giuliani was pressing for. At the time I gave my deposition on October 22nd, I was not aware of this information. I'm including it here for completeness. As the committee knows, I reported this information through counsel to the State Department's legal advisor, as well as to counsel for both the majority and the minority of this committee. It is my understanding that the committee is following up on this matter. President Trump cares more about the investigations of Biden, which Giuliani was pressing for. Alex. Look, this is, to me, the single most crucial revelation in the entire five and a half hours of testimony. It says that right after talking to Zelensky, Trump followed up with, and I think it's fair to call Sondland his point man on Ukraine, despite Ukraine being outside of his portfolio, since it's not in the European Union and Sondland is the EU ambassador. Still, the day after that call with Zelensky, he follows up with Sondland to, to make sure he knows how important the Biden investigation is. That suggests Trump knows exactly what the pressure points are, and he's pushing on them. And, and we know we're going to get firsthand testimony about that conversation because Sondland is going to be testifying. We know that and for it's sure. the first thing... That Sondland is yeah. testifying? Absolutely. Well, he's Sondland testifying on Wednesday. Testifying. Will, he's he's will, testifying on Wednesday. So the question is, will Sondland recall this conversation in the same way 
that Taylor has related it, uh, and presumably the way his uh, his staff member who heard the comment is going to relate it. That is third hand, right, Kim? Well, it, to actually overhear a conversation that itself is not hearsay if they call the person who actually heard it. So certainly, uh, Mr. Taylor to selling telling us what his assistant said is one thing. If they call the assistant, and um, then it becomes the assistant, why would the assistant lie about this? I guess that, that will be some of the questions that the Republicans would ask. But if it's the assistant versus Mr. Sondland, who's already admitted um, to not recalling things that are pretty significant and accurate, I think that's going to be a tough one. And yeah, it goes look. to the under the question of intent, right? There's, there's two arguments on the merits that the Republicans are making. One is that President Trump didn't really mean this. He was trying to root out corruption. But as Alex said, that undermines that narrative. It says, no, this was about the Bidens. And then the second one has to do with, well, the the, the aid wasn't actually uh, withheld. They finally got the aid. Right. Um, but as we can talk about, the, the concern about abuse of power to the extent to which that's the reason for impeachment is about the use of it, not necessarily whether the act was completed. So it is significant because um, the other defenses are distractions, whistleblower, you know, things that are really irrelevant. And that whole line of defense kind of fizzled, look, I think, by yeah, the end. I, look, I think this, uh, yeah, this Republican line of defense that it was about that Trump was interested more broadly in corruption was pretty much de- decimated by the end right. of the, the hearing. I mean, there was a, I mean, the great there was thing shift, about, shifted some yeah, very yeah. impressive kind of redirect in terms of that line of, of defense uh, where he's talking about Burisma. And yes, you know, Burisma was, you know, there was controversy surrounding Burisma going way back. But none of the facts that were under discussion at this impeachment hearing today were back then. It was in the last, you know, it was it was it was much more recent. And then he just, you know, goes through the actual transcript of the call and says, you know, did Trump talk about, you know, Lashensky, who was the owner of the corrupt owner of, of uh, Burisma? Burisma right. Did he talk about setting up some kind of a, a new mm-hmm. court, anti-corruption court? No. What did he talk about? He talked about CrowdStrike. He talked <laughs> about the Bidens. He yeah. talked about the 2016 election. That's all he talked about. Clearly, that's all he was interested in here. So, yeah, I mean, one of the reasons that the uh, account from Taylor is so devastating is it rings entirely true that that's what Trump cares about. Nobody imagines that President Trump is sitting there worried about the state of corruption in general in Ukraine or any other country. He's worried about what affects him and his well, political Well, and Taylor interests. explained how, yeah. how Zelensky well, came in and actually cleaned up corruption, uh, amended well, the Constitution to basically make things more fair well, and more democratic. starting to. I'm starting not so to sure that, we but, can give him that much credit. He's got this oligarch. Kalamoyski, who helped put him in office, who's uh, pretty sleazy, according to a lot of U.S. officials, is under investigation in the U.S. itself. He, seemed, he, he appointed Kalamoyski's guy as his chief of staff. There are questions about Zelensky's uh, reformist Well, uh, Taylor instincts. made it. I don't have that expertise, but Taylor certainly, his testimony, which was unrefuted yeah. as of today, was that he was going in that, that direction, right? And that's, right. of course, the, the story about Joe Biden, which is that he he was acting to actually root out corruption with a cor- former corrupt prosecutor. So it doesn't make a lot of sense one way or the other that a new president comes in on some kind of platform, whether it's fully accurate or not, to root out corruption. And, oh, President Trump is so worried about this corrupt government that he's going to withhold aid in that moment. And to your point, uh, Kim, Marie Yovanovitch says, look, none of these 
Eastern European guys are are perfect. They're all going to be compromised. But she had hope for Zelensky as being a genuine reformist, or at least having those impulses, even if they weren't coming, even if that push wasn't coming to fruition. One more point, uh, Danny. We have a, a memo from John Rood, the Undersecretary of Defense for Policy, saying this is from May, saying Ukraine has cleared the hurdles to receive this aid. They have made enough reforms for us to feel confident in giving him this very serious military aid. So if Trump cared about corruption, he would have had one of his own military people, and he loves military people, telling him this is good to go. So if we can find out what OMB did and how it did it to stop this aid, I think that could, to your point again, Kim, that could really be a crucial detail in building this narrative right. out. And then we, you know, we started out this conversation talking about whether there would be enough drama, enough revelations, and we don't know whether we're going to get to the bottom of the decision to freeze uh, military assistance. But we do know that those questions have not been fully answered, and we do know that we're going to start getting some OMB officials coming forward and testifying. And there is at least there the potential for bombshells, not just re- revelations. Although I, I thought that the Republicans scored some points on the question, particularly in um, Congressman Ratcliffe's questioning of, of Taylor about whether the Ukrainians were aware that the aid had been suspended. And Taylor said he didn't know until the end of August when there's a Politico article that says the aid has been suspended by OMB. And it's only after the Politico article that he starts hearing from Ukrainian officials. I believe he heard from the defense minister saying, hey, what's up right. with the he aid? He says he heard from multiple people right after Right after the political article. Which suggests that, you know, most of them learned it then. Otherwise, he would have been getting calls before. Which means that at the time of the phone call, Zelensky is unaware that the aid has been suspended. So, you know, um, Kim, you're the uh, our, our legal analyst here in terms of uh, bribery or extortion. If uh, the Ukrainians are unaware that the quo exists, that there's an issue about the quo, the military aid, does that weaken the case that this was a quid pro quo or that this was a case of bribery and or extortion? Well, to the extent to which we know that they they didn't know or that maybe they just weren't making clear that they knew. I mean, I think one of the key questions are these higher level witnesses, whether we'll see them, right? We've had a lot of problems in getting responsive. I mean, I, think about the list, not just Sondland, Mulvaney, Mulvaney Giuliani, yeah. Pompeo, yeah. Bill Barr, Rick Perry, Mike mm-hmm. Pence, John Bolton. All of those people would have firsthand knowledge that would answer presumably some of these questions. But to well, answer your it question, doesn't answer the question of what the Ukrainians knew. Well, but they might know. I mean, Alex might know a little bit more about that. Well, it won't, it won't that. matter what the, if Mulvaney knows that he withheld, he gave the order to withhold the military assistance because Trump wanted to right. put pressure on the Ukrainians, then it doesn't matter. And Mike, if I can mug if I mug it, it's not communicated to the Ukrainians. Well, but it eventually was. But it was in the July 25th call. I mean, so the extent. No, 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 not the suspension of the aid. 
Well, Remember, there was a mention the, of the, the, what Taylor the testified. The javelins. The javelins. Well, mm-hmm. yeah, Zelensky raised the question of of the javelins, but the Politico article that reports the aid has been suspended isn't until more than a month later. It's August 29th. So the a, phone call is July 25th. In a criminal concept, I just, you know, they did also talk about not getting the White House meeting. That was clearly being withheld, right? That, you know, brand new president comes right. in. I think that's a weaker case, right, than the military, exactly. for yeah. sure. Um, as far as a quid pro quo, that's not a legal term. Bribery is giving goodies in exchange for some kind of benefit. Mm-hmm. Extortion is listed, I'm going to withhold something from you or else. And that that's why people are saying this probably is closer to extortion. As we as we, we all know at this point, you don't need to prove a crime. You don't need to prove extortion. But I would, you know, if this were actually a case in, mm-hmm. that would go to trial, it would certainly help to know that there was some kind of communication, some kind of exchange. But the, the notion here is, listen, if you don't do this, I will hurt your company, your country in a material way and hurt the interests of the United States. And I think the question for politicians, the question for the American public, is that much, that attempt by a president, because, of course, attempts can be crimes, attempt by a president enough to to impeach. And I really think it's probably too premature for anyone to make that determination, given we haven't heard all these witnesses firsthand. And that really does make a difference. In in Watergate, it made a difference, right? It does make a difference to see people and judge their credibility and decide, well, you know, the weight of the evidence is one way versus the other based on hearing people talk and uh, seeing them talk. Uh, the, the Two points. First of all, Mike, if I steal your iPhone and you don't notice, I right. can't claim to not be a thief until you've actually well, reported. Well, it depends that. on, do you return it? <laughs> Well, are even you if borrowing I do, my iPhone or are you stealing it? Well, if I take it? your car for a joyride. Mm-hmm. I, uh, but the All second right. point is, was Giuliani communicating with Yermak during what was the, the aid? Yermak, yes, we should say, the is the aid to Zelensky. Zelensky right. aid. Right. Is there communication in July after that July 25th phone call making it increasingly explicit? Hey, do you want to see that military aid? Do you see those Russian troops on your border? Right. So you better you better announce well, that investigation. As of now, we do not have any testimony to that effect. But there is, I believe, there is, granted, circumstantial evidence from the texts with Kurt Volker, the special envoy, mm-hmm. and Sondland to suggest there. I'm, I believe mm-hmm. this. I don't know it to be a fact that this was being made clear to Ukrainian officials. Also, it is worth pointing out that the New York Times has reported that the Ukrainians or some Ukrainian officials knew that the aid was frozen, military aid was frozen, um, and I think early August, uh, and they've talked to Ukrainian officials about that. We don't have that. In- we don't have that independently, and that seemed to be contradicted by Taylor's testimony today, that, that at least at the senior levels, you know, the, the fact that the defense minister doesn't contact him until after the political article would suggest that whatever, you know, mid-level Ukrainian officials knew didn't get to the senior and, and most important people in the Ukrainian government who would have had concerns. Well, it, may turn out, yeah. it, it may turn out that Donald Trump had the intent, but just wasn't very good at pulling it, yeah. pulling off I mean, the crime. Kim, isn't corrupt intent, uh, is corrupt intent an impeachable offense? <laughs> No, I would say corrupt intent. Uh, that would be a big problem across the no. board with politicians if we're going to start throwing them out based on corrupt intent. But I think, to your point, Mike, this maybe that sort of timeline is a little murky. Uh, I think chances are at some point the, the Ukrainians found out mm-hmm. about the withholding of aid, because this is a story we're hearing today. 
at some point over the summer. The, it doesn't have to be on the July 25th right. call. And, and also, um, they may not have known for sure, but they certainly, I think there's a good chance that they were suspecting that this aid had been withheld. There was nervousness about well, it. Well, and, and wasn't Zelensky had, had committed to making uh, an appearance on CNN to basically announce the investigation, uh, which had been something that he'd been well, allegedly g- pressured to do. I mean, right. Why given, would he do g- it? Given all the signals from, from Giuliani, all the pressure that was being put on them to do things that, that made them uncomfortable, they must have. They knew that the Trump administration had this leverage of holding the money back, and so it would right. not be surprising to me if they were already thinking about they, that. And they know. It's not like they don't have the concept of a fiscal year or they don't understand the way appropriations work. They know that that aid is going to expire, and they know they know what it's supposed to come, and they know that it hasn't come. So do they know in the philosophical, epistemological sense? I don't know, but I'm pretty sure Zelensky right. thought, gee, I wonder where that $400 million is that was promised to me. Well, And this is a question for Sondland, right? Because uh, Taylor said that Sondland said, quote, everything was dependent on the announcement, including security assistance. Right. So he might be able right. to answer that on Wednesday, right. and we'll take that off I, the table. I, I think Sondland is absolutely the most crucial witness I'm, that we want to hear from. I think he's the guy He's the guy that was talking to the president. Unlike Kent and Taylor and a lot of the other witnesses we're going to hear from, Sondland is in direct communication with the guy they want to impeach. He's the one who could either hang or save the president or get himself in more trouble by saying things that aren't true. Um, Why do you think he's testifying? I don't understand why he's... It seems sort of... I don't want to say reckless for him to go up there, but he could really get himself in trouble and get the president in I trouble. I think he agreed to testify before he realized what the other witnesses were going to say about their conversations with him. And that once they saw that, I think his lawyer, Robert Luskin, was probably freaking out. One reason they he amended his testimony on one count. One last thing for Kim, since we have a veteran uh, prosecutor And by the way, here. we should point out that the reason Kim can answer questions about what's in Impeachable is she is the author of How to Read the Constitution and Why. So um, yeah, my heart is in legal education. Yeah. All right, sure. well, so we that's where okay. my heart and soul Anybody is. on this podcast, <laughs> you've got to be a you know a legit a bona fide expert of, about something. Okay, so my question for you uh, is: I want to talk about the lawyering for a minute. And one of the things that was different about this hearing from a lot of other congressional hearings that we've had in recent years is instead of each member, you know, using their five minutes to grandstand and, and, and tell speeches, although we did get a lot of that, just not as much as we normally do, because there was this 45-minute rule where Schiff had 45 minutes and then Nunes had 45 minutes, and they turned most of their time over to lawyers that, they, that were hired by the committees. Um, one for the Republican was Steve Castor. For the Democrats, it was Dan Goldman. So tell, tell us what you think of, uh, of, of the lawyering from the hired guns um, on both sides. I thought Dan Goldman did a, a, a good job. I mean, the, if the good job is really explaining things in a way, asking questions so that the jury can understand. And if the jury, in theory, is the American public through their senators, um, then I think that's really important. I think Castor was less successful. It was hard. Yeah. It's easy to, even as a lawyer, someone who's engaged in this completely, it was very easy to sort of lose interest in how that went. And I, I frankly think, think some of the members on the Republican side did a better job of 
yeah. going through and not so much, you know, impeaching these witnesses, as you indicated, as somehow, you know, not telling the truth or lacking in credibility. I mean, uh, you know, obviously, Mr. Taylor has a bronze star and a, and a medal for valor. I mean, this is an impeccable person in a lot of ways, but just kind of making it seem like they didn't they didn't have uh, the level of confidence or they shouldn't have the level of confidence that they are expressing it that way as as expressed because maybe there's some stuff they don't fully understand. So I think that was well, somewhat I, I totally agree with that. I thought that Castor was meandering a little all over the place. You know, he, he got some punches in kind of late late in the process, but there were also times when he asked questions uh, that he clearly didn't know the answer to. He was expecting different answers, and that's a, you know, a mistake uh, when you're cross-examining witnesses. Yeah. And one of them, just very quickly, was, you know, why weren't you talking to both Kent and Taylor? Why weren't you on this call? If you're so important, why weren't you on the call with the president? And they had a very good answer to that, which is that, you know, People out in the field and the embassies, the ambassador, they're almost never on these calls. That was terrible, known, terrible, he terrible. He should have known the answer to that 100%, question. Yeah, yeah. 100%. And I did love uh, uh, Goldman's uh, one little move there, which I thought was kind of nifty, where he brings out the transcript and said, let's read the transcript of the president's call as we've been encouraged to do. <laughs> he says, that was a great <laughs> deadpan. Uh, um, anyway, we got to uh, call it quits here. Um, Kim and Alex, thanks for joining us. And we will have both of you back as the impeachment drama continues. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks to CBS legal analyst Kim Whaley and Yahoo News colleague Alex Nazarian for joining us on this episode of Skullduggery. Don't forget to subscribe to Skullduggery on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And tell us what you think. Leave a review. The latest episode is also on SiriusXM on the weekend. Check it out on POTUS Channel 124 on Saturdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time with replays on Sundays at 1 a.m. and 3 p.m. Be sure to follow us on social media at Skullduggery Pod. We'll talk to you soon.